This is a Federal News Network podcast. Federal News Network's open season hotline. Today's question, how do I know what to take into account when picking an FEHB plan and important coverage? Well, you can't predict the future, so any health coverage plan you choose will have risk. Don't base your decision on prices alone, though, low or high. The Consumer's Checkbook Guide to Health Plans for Federal Employees rates plans by taking into account coverage, service, customer satisfaction, cost, and provider options. It comes with an online comparison tool. Check out our Open Season Hotline. Head over to federalnewsnetwork.com and search Open Season Hotline. You can post a question there or call 844-305-1500. That's 844-305-1500. Send us your questions. We'll read the answers daily at 7 past the hour here on The Federal Drive. On Friday, the federal IT world got some long-awaited news about the future of cloud computing in the Defense Department. DOD picked four companies for spots on its upcoming joint warfighter cloud capability contract expected to be worth several billion dollars. But the names of the companies are about all we do know. After months of market research, the Pentagon is keeping a tight lid on how the contract will actually work. Federal News Network's Jared Serbu has been following DOD's enterprise cloud saga as it's unfolded over the past several years, broke the story on Friday, and joins me now with analysis. Jared, let's start with review of who those vendors actually were. Amazon, Microsoft, we already knew it was going to be Amazon and Microsoft for sure, but the somewhat surprising maybe additions to this contract were also Google and Oracle. Conspicuously absent, at least for now, is IBM. DoD had previously said that it would consider adding vendors beyond just Microsoft and Amazon. Way back in July, remember when they canceled the Jedi contract, John Sherman, then the acting DoD CIO, said that he was going to be consulting with all five of what DoD termed the hyperscale U.S.-based cloud providers to see if there was room for the others besides Microsoft and AWS on the JWCC contract. And this was apparently the result of that market research. They decided that Google and Oracle were fit for at least some role in the joint warfighting cloud construct as well. What that role is, we really have no idea yet because DoD has published zero documentation on what these solicitations actually entail. That is vindication of some sort for the long legal battle of Oracle. They finally got their claws into the side of this thing. Yes, at least claws. We don't know exactly how, how deeply they're actually going to get into this because they're among the many things we don't know is we don't know exactly how these contracts are going to work, Tom. What we think is going to happen based on what DoD has said about JWCC's operation in the past is that each of these vendors will get essentially their own IDIQ contract. This is not going to be a single multiple award IDIQ. Each vendor will get their own IDIQ. And if that's the case, if DoD sticks with that construct, which we have every reason to believe that they will, they've they've said nothing that would alter that suspicion, it's theoretically possible that Oracle could be off in its own little IDIQ bucket and not really get many task orders. We just don't know that yet. We don't know how they're structuring these IDIQs. One way they could do it theoretically is to write the IDIQ contracts in such a way that each cloud vendor has its own little area of responsibilities within JWCC. They could also write it in such a way so that they're all kind of competing for the same sorts of services. We've asked DOD, you know, which which one of those broad venues is closest to write. We haven't really uh, heard any answers back from them yet. 
So it's also possible that as DOD develops better cloud brokering services, both technically and I guess from a business standpoint, various DOD components could kind of go with their favorite cloud and still be under the umbrella of this whole project. And it could be divided among many, too, for the same token. I think that's right here. I think the only thing that we know for sure is that DOD has kind of seen the light and decided that a multiple award construct of some kind is the right way to go after beating its head against the wall with the single award approach on under Jedi unsuccessfully for so long. What form that takes, we don't really know. The only thing the department has really said as of Friday is that they're gonna allow the military services to continue kind of having their own cloud contracts as they each all do at this point, but eventually kind of prod them toward JWCC in some way. Again, what that looks like, it's really hard to tell at this point. And as we've heard, including during our DOD cloud exchange earlier, is that the various military components have cloud strategies, have cloud contracts, but they pay very loyal lip service, at least, to what the DOD was doing centrally and say that there are certain things they will reserve for the successor to Jedi, I suppose. Any timelines that we know, any any start date for this, or is it too early to tell? It's a little too early to tell an exact date. The only thing that we really know from DOD is that they are hoping to award these IDIQ contracts by the third quarter of this fiscal year, so sometime after April, sometime in that three-month time frame after April. And then once the awards are made, the plan is to start offering unclassified services at least within 30 days of that award date and then secret level services about 60 days after that date and then I think it's top secret um, 180 days after that award date so relatively ambitious schedule uh, once the awards are made and we'll just have to wait and see exactly what form again those contracts take the language was a little bit strange to say that they awarded solicitations but not contracts usually solicitation is in the bid part of an acquisition but here it sounds like they've decided on them any explanation for that way of phrasing it what they really decided is that there's a very narrow universe of companies that can provide the kinds of services DOD needs for this sort of large-scale cloud capability. So they didn't want to go into a big, full and open competition again. They're going to use some kind of justification to do these individual sole source selections, basically, even though it is to four companies, but each one of those will be essentially a sole source contract that ostensibly they will have to write a justification and approval for at some point to explain their reasoning for. We don't know exactly what the justification is going to be. They could do it on national security grounds. They could do it on some kind of urgency grounds. There's a number of different, you know, escape hatches in the FAR that they could theoretically use. We just don't know exactly which one of those it's going to be yet. But it's, but yes, they have decided on the universe of providers. The one clarification we did get from DOD on Friday, though, is just because each of these four companies got a solicitation, it is not an ironclad guarantee that they will all get contracts next year. So they could get proposals back from, from one or more of these companies and decide, and eh, this isn't really what we're looking for. Federal News Network's Jared Serbu. Thanks so much. Thank you, Tom. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. During his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including Commander, Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, and in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's Chief of Legislative Affairs. Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the president and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, the world's largest credit union, where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, 
Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. Phenomenal. Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Shane. You've had a fascinating career across both military and the private sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your professional journey? Well, I started out at the Naval Academy where I graduated in 1970. And then, as you mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy um, with uh, six actual actual uh, afloat commands. Uh, the first one was when I was 27 years old. Uh, I didn't know enough to be scared of anything. And it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Um, and then after I retired after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO, where I spent my next 14 years. Um, I'm, I'm currently retired and enjoying life, and um, it's been a great run for me. How would you describe your leadership style, and how's that developed over the years? My style has been quite con consistent. Um, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates uh, to see what is going on. And you have to learn what your people do and how they do it so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. Um, it's um, something that you need to do all the time. Um, I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin. And what I mean by that is um, the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about but that should be the opposite. You should get out and about more because people change, situations change, and you've got to figure out a way to get to them and find out what they're doing and where, what you can do to help them. Uh, I, we'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it um, from C to the C-suite. Fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? I had numerous while I was in the Navy, but uh, the quality that, that I enjoyed the most was the leaders that got to know me as an individual and that they cared about me. And I could tell that they cared about me. And they were not only my leaders, but they were my mentors. And um, I remember um, one particular one, Bill Schiffer, when I had my first assignment at the Pentagon, um, I would go in to see him with my problem of the day. And I knew that he had numerous problems of his own, but he would stop and he would focus on me and he would make me feel like I was the most important person in his world. Um, and I, I tried to do that um, throughout my career, but really it's about caring for your people. Cutler, in reading your book, there was a quote you used that you used to inspire those people that work for you. And it really got my attention. And it was, it was you are the captain of your own ship. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means and how it was useful to you and the leaders you were developing. Uh, absolutely. Um, what I mean by captain of your own ship, when you are the captain of a ship, sometimes you're in the middle of the ocean and you don't have anybody to turn to to make decisions. You don't have anybody to turn to ask, what should I do now? You have to be the captain of that ship. And I, I translated that um, into, let's say, Navy Federal's organization, where I would tell branch managers that I said, you are the captain of the ships of Navy Federal. 
you're the ones that are facing the, the members or customers, as others call them, every day. And you have to make decisions without a lot of guidance in some cases and without a lot of time. So be the captain of your own ship. Step up, uh, make decisions, uh, do what you think is right, and you never can go wrong. I think that is so important. And you have to give your people a little bit of latitude to take some risk as well, because there is risk for them in doing that and risk to your organization. That's right. And, and I mentioned that I took command of my first ship uh, with five years in the Navy and I was 27 years old. Well, my boss had 32 years in the Navy and um, his, his guidance to me when I first met him was, Cutler, you do the right thing and I'll back you up all the way. What a wonderful way to, to spend an assignment with, uh, with backup and, and guidance like that. What, what great, great advice. Uh, it's clear leadership is a topic you're passionate about. You wrote the book we mentioned before, um, From C to C-Suite. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes, when I was at Navy Federal, I would tell sea stories. Uh, as parables to get my point across. And um, folks would tell me, Cutler, we like your stories. It gives us a picture of what you're trying to tell us. Now, what else are they gonna say? They work for me, but uh, uh, I took it as a compliment and it was. And my wife encouraged me to write a book and I needed a co-author to help me. And I found a lady named Taylor Keelan who was the perfect, perfect co-author. She turned in my stories into wonderful chapters um, that I'm very proud of. Where can listeners find a copy? Well, you can get it on Amazon uh, and you can also uh, get it on the Naval Institute website. Uh, and I might add that um, any proceeds from the book, Navy Federal uses uh, to give to charity. Fantastic. Cutler, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your time and your lessons and in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And, and uh, I've learned a lot both from talking to you today and reading your book. And thank you very much for your time. It's my pleasure. And I, I, I would like to add one thing if I could, Shane. Um, during my assignments in Washington, D.C., I gained the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. They're hardworking, they're dedicated, and they, they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea. Perfect, thank you. Yeah, we, WEPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is is continuous, it's nonstop, and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants, as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them. I totally agree. And, and I can tell you from the US Navy standpoint, uh, we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do. Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler. And to everyone listening to Lessons in Leadership podcast, we'll see you next time. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you are sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, think twice before sending money through an app or online. 
Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.